Welcome to Decrypt, Asia's first blockchain and cryptocurrency podcast. I'm your host, Tushar. Each week, we take a deep dive into the Asian blockchain scene with investors, technologists, and industry insiders. Go to decrypt.asia to subscribe to our newsletter and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Telegram to join in the discussions. Hi, guys. Our guest for today's show is Justin Mon, co-founder at Physical. Physical is a location data marketplace which connects location suppliers, i.e. you and me, to location buyers, which could be marketing agencies, hedge funds, insurance companies, amongst others. Justin co-founded Physical Labs, from which Physical has been spun out, in Boston in 2014. Physical was accepted in the 500 Startups Accelerator in the summer of 2016. Sensing a big opportunity in Asia, Justin and his team moved to Singapore from Silicon Valley to build out physical. All right. Welcome to the show, Justin. Great to be here. Before we dig into what you're building, could you tell us a little bit about your background, where you come from and what you were doing prior to physical and how physical came about? Yeah, of course. So um, I'm born in Washington, D.C., went to college at Boston University. That's where I met my uh, one of my co-founders, Ben Smith. Um, and you know, so I initially was working in uh, financial services, um, as an equity analyst, I'm a CFA level three and my co-founder Ben was also my roommate, um, back in Boston, which is a pretty common story for a lot of startups. And we actually came across, um, and we got the idea for physical in a pretty funny way. Um, so basically back in, and physical has been around, you know, for a while and back in, uh, 2014, these devices called iBeacons came out. Are, are you familiar with iBeacons? I'm not actually. Okay, so um, some people are, some people aren't. Uh, an iBeacon is a small Bluetooth device, kind of like the size of a, a golf ball. And a lot of retailers uh, put them in their stores to enable indoor location. Because you know GPS doesn't work very well inside, it doesn't know what floor you're on, it doesn't know what aisle you're in. So. Um, Apple sponsored this new technology, which then the protocol was, you know, used by Android as well. Um, and it allowed people to get indoor location. So this is a new hot thing in 2014. And uh, Ben and I bought hundreds of beacons and started putting them in our apartment and eventually um, outside in other establishments. And basically our idea was we said, hey, why don't we create a dating app that allows us to match two users in the same venue, kind of like Tinder, but for micro location. Um, I guess we needed help of meeting, <laughs> meeting <Yeah>. some more, <laughs> meeting some more people on the weekends. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, a lot of us techies do anyways. Um, so we said, let's make a dating app and let's call it spark, you know, cause it helps you meet in the moment. So I can push someone, my number who's across the bar for me because Tinder or Bumble can only, we made the app, we made a prototype. It was great. Uh, we distributed beacons at about 80, uh, bars live in Boston. So we had a nice test net, you know, a different kind of test net going at that time, yeah. uh, Beacons, which was great. And then we realized to ourselves, hey, you know, the dating app idea isn't original. That's um, low barriers there and that's less exciting. But the most interesting part is the fact that we can ca- capture the location of an individual indoors. Are you by the dance floor? Are you by the bar? Did you just walk in? Um, you know, et cetera. Are you getting bottle service? So we realized that okay, this is actually a very valuable data point and a lot of marketers or even financial services companies might be far more interested in where people are located indoors than you know, our dating app idea had going for it. So we said, okay, let's you know, forget the dating app idea and let's create 
a small piece of software called an SDK that goes inside other apps and allows the creation of this location data from those apps because they can't get it themselves. So we basically enabled other apps to learn where their users are going indoors. Um, so that gave birth to location data and that really led the gateway to physical, um, which is of course a marketplace of location data. And so uh, are these iBeacons located inside of our phones today? Uh, I mean, how, how is that information captured today? Uh, do you need external devices or you don't need that? It's just from your phone. Good question. So, the, um, so it's captured by your phone directly. And the way it works is you can kind of think of it like sonar, to put it simply. So the iBeacon is a device located on aisle one, two, and three of a retailer. And your phone, if Bluetooth is turned on, captures that signal. And when it hears the beacon signal, the beacon says, hey, this is the men's shoe aisle of a store. And then your phone says, okay, Justin's in the men's shoe aisle of a store. That's how it works. And our SDK doesn't only use beacons. There's, we've detected about uh, five to 10 million around the globe today. Um, but we use GPS and Wi-Fi and a bunch of other sensors, but beacons are what gave way to it. Cool. So I was very curious to find out, uh, we met recently, obviously, and I found out that you moved from the Valley to Singapore. Typically, it's been the other way around. Is there any particular reason why you decided to make this move? Yeah, so, um, you know, we founded the company in Boston, um, Physical Labs. I'm sorry, yeah, Physical Labs was founded in Boston. We got into 500 startups yeah. and uh, moved to San Francisco. And then um, from there, you know, we started expanding the market outwards. And there's a lot of uh, mobile phone adoption in Asia. Um, so Singapore has strong adoption. Um, Seoul, South Korea has strong adoption. A, a lot of markets do. And they also use their phones differently. And they make more payments on their phones and so on in Asia. So we said, hey, let's actually go out there and see, you know, if there's more demand and more supply we can gather uh, from Asia. And so that's what I'm doing out here. Got it. So you just mentioned that physical labs, uh, you've spun off physical now, but physical labs has existed since 2014. Could you talk mm -hmm. a little bit about what you initially started to build and what your previous business was before you started incorporating blockchain into your business? Of course, yeah. So, I mean, we founded um, Physical Labs back in that. This is the U.S. company we founded back in 2014. And um, basically, you know, this is the centralized business. And we had been uh, collecting anonymous location data from users who opt in. So this isn't without their consent. They always consent to this. So they opt in. And then we provide this information to a lot of different marketers, hedge funds, real estate companies. Um, there's John, you know, Johns Hopkins University. There are a lot of people who are benefiting from it. But basically where blockchain came into play was in the summer of 2017, a lot of our customers said to us, hey, physical, uh, we're buying your data, which we love. And it's, it's not a one-time purchase. It's a stream. So this data gets sent to us in real time and we push it out you know, multiple times a day uh, by the hour or minutely to these uh, buyers. And these are big checks they're writing us. So um, you know, we send it out to them. They write us a check at the end of the month. And they said, hey, guys, we're getting your data, which is great. But a lot of other people have stepped into the market and we have some trust issues. We don't know if the data that they're, the location they're selling us is fraudulent. We don't really even know where it came from. If it comes from an app hitting an iBeacon, that's a very reliable data point and it's very accurate. But if it's a cell tower, I mean, it could put you miles from where we think you are. So it could be very inaccurate. And we don't know if the data is compliant. So a lot of the buyers started having trust issues that had to do with the authenticity and the provenance and origin of the data. So they came to us and they said, hey guys, um, 
we like you, but there's a lot of fraud out there and you can make a lot of money by making up data. So we said, hey, why don't we create a solution for this and start using blockchain so that all of these data buyers can now benefit from knowing exactly where the data came from, all the location data points they're consuming, and also they can see that the data is compliant. So that if you're a user who opted into a certain phrase, then they can see what that phrase is and feel better about purchasing that data. So one thing that's nice about us is that you know, we were a real business that was driven by, by our customer demand to solve a real market problem. Um, and then we created Physical Technologies, which is um, our Singaporean company um, incorporated in Singapore. Um, and that's really what led us there is to solve these problems. And so we've been talking about location data for the past uh, five minutes or so. For the benefit of our listeners who may not know what location data is, could you talk briefly about what it actually is? Like, what are the points that you're capturing? What is it that, what does location data represent? Yeah, so um, I, I know we kind of fast forwarded there. So every time you open up your phone and, um, you know, if you're using Grab or Uber or um, Kakao Taxi in South Korea, usually your phone, iOS or Android will say, hey, do you allow this application to access your location to use it for reasons, you know, one, two, or three? And then you can either accept or deny that prompt. So when I say location data, what I mean is the data points that are generated from you when you click accept and only if you click accept. So that's a anonymous, unique ID. We never know your name. We don't know your email address. We don't know your, your gender or birthday. So it's a, it's a unique ID. And then it's also a latitude point and a longitude point. You know, so it's a grid, so we know where you are on Earth. And then we also get things like altitude and speed, so it's interesting. So we can plot you, you know, on the fifth floor of a mall and so on. But when I say location data, I mean um, data points that indicate where a human is on Earth. What are the problems that exist in this market currently, which you're trying to address? So the problem is that, you know, there's all this location data out there, but determining its worth on an economic level and also accuracy and on a compliance level really comes down to where the data is coming from. There are unreliable accuracy sources. So a cell tower, I'm sure you try to call an Uber or a Grab when you look at your phone, the blue dot is really big. It's not just where you are. It's like massive. That's because it's, and you're like, oh my God, it could, you know, I could be anywhere here. So what that means is it's using a cell tower and it could put you anywhere within three miles. So that's a very low quality data point. A very high quality data point would be an iBeacon. It can put you within three meters indoors on the right floor of where you are. So there's, tremendous, there's a tremendous difference in the accuracy. So if I am a hedge fund or a marketer, and we can talk about why they want this data later, but if I'm buying these data points, I'm gonna pay something very different, a smaller amount for the cell tower location data, and I'm gonna pay a much more expensive amount. Not to mention, if this is data where I'm nervous that the user didn't actually opt in and I can get sued for using this data, that's scary data, I don't want that. So, you know, I'm willing to pay more for data that is certified and trustworthy. Um, so we're solving trust and transparency issues. Right. So you've got two, two stakeholders in your ecosystem. You've got the data suppliers, which could be, you know, people like you and I or anyone else out there just walking around. Um, and you've got the data buyers and you mentioned some of the buyers. You've mentioned, you know, hedge funds, marketers. Um, and, and this market already exists, right? I mean, so hedge funds have been buying uh, this kind of data for a while. But could you talk a little bit about some of the problems that exist in this marketplace where uh, the data suppliers and the data buyers sort of come together and the intermediaries that exist? And so what, what's, what kind of friction does that cause? And, and how are you trying to address those, uh, those pain points? 
Uh, yeah. So, I mean, basically it, it all comes down to the use cases. Um, so when we're talking about a marketer, um, physical has, you know, we, we, there's over 20 marketers using physical right now. A big, these are big data buyers, not individual people. So some of them are publicly traded. And um, basically what they're doing is they're saying, hey, if Tushal was, um, you know, standing in the, the men's shoe aisle, then, you know, and he goes there three times a week, let's show him an ad for shoes. Um, so there's a lot of retargeting that goes on there. And as far as um, hedge, which is a cool use case, um, and it's an important one, as far as hedge funds go, this is particularly exciting. Um, a hedge fund, for example, you know, right now they wait for a company like Macy's or Starbucks to produce what they made this year in revenue. On December 31st, every publicly traded company says, hey, this is our revenue for 2017. But if a hedge, and then everyone buys or sells their stocks right then, but if a hedge fund can find out in real time if foot traffic is up or down in Starbucks, for example, then it means, oh, foot traffic is up. That means the people, that sales are probably up. That means that I'm going to buy that stock and trade on it in real time. Hedge funds started off a while ago just counting people walking in and out of stores with a hand counter. Then they transitioned in the 90s to using uh, satellite imagery of parking lots and saying, oh, if the parking lot's halfway full, that means that you know, sales might be X. And now this is just a more accurate version because it's real-time location data of people walking in the stores. But where I'm going with this as far as the problem we're solving is that you know, this is a billion dollar trade a hedge fund could be making. Um, if they are determining whether to buy stock in JCPenney or Macy's or retailer A and B, you know, th this is their client's money. This is a lot of money they're moving around. So they need to be very certain that this data point is coming from where they thought it came from. Because if it's someone who made it up or it's fraudulent, that could cost them a ton of money. So authenticity and transparency to the provenance is everything when it comes to the location data. So you mentioned that you're already working with about 20 marketers. Could you talk a little bit about who these marketers are and how they're leveraging this data and if it's actually helped their business? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so there, I, I would have to get their permission before disclosing uh, their names. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, you know, as, but um, anyways, there's 20 marketers. Um, some of them are uh, multi-billion dollar companies. They're publicly traded on the stock market. Um, and they're using this data for uh, two main things. One is called retargeting. So if they see that Tushal went into, you know, um, Starbucks three times, or you, you go and you shop for Rolex watches, then they see that recurring behavior. And they know that you are, um, you know, a high-end retail shopper. And the biggest point here, and the most important point I want to make, is that we are now dealing with offline physical world data. So up in, in the last 20 years, you've had the online world totally mastered. You have Facebook, Google, Amazon that have cookies on your web browser that know everything you click, every button, how long you're looking at a product for on your laptop, even when you're browsing on your phone. So that area has been totally covered each way possible. Um, and the biggest question is, okay, so if the online data and the online world has already been covered, what happens when you close your laptop or put your cell phone in your pocket and you walk around. That's what physical covers. It's the offline physical data world. It's almost as though you are a mouse and the stores that you visit are like websites and you create physical world cookies. Yeah. So, which is kind of a funny analogy. And by the way, <laughs> it is. <laughs> yeah. it's, so it's like cookies for the real world, web cookies. And let me also make a note by saying that you can totally opt out of all of this if you want to in a few different ways. You can opt out on your device. Um, in your settings, you can reset your device ID. I can 
always show you how. You can opt out on physical's website. Um, and shortly you can claim your data and make money from it yourself. So I can get into that later, but if this is um, starting, starting to creep you out, you can actually benefit from it and repurpose your own data um, for altruistic reasons. But let me get back to it. So the big problem we're solving is that online data, the Google cookies, the Facebook cookies, and so on have totally um, analyzed your behavior, but the offline data is the new world that we're now entering into. So it's not just mobile phone data, it's any Internet of Things sensor data, uh, a bus ticket, a credit card transaction, any data that indicates where you are, that's data that physical um, can now capture and use to benefit society. So smart cities can optimize bus routes. So if they see that you know, a bus stop up ahead is empty, well then why should the bus stop at that bus stop? Why can't they just you know, continue and skip that one and save gas and save route and it saves everyone time? So what we're trying to do is you know, optimize for the offline world and collect data on the physical world. Yep. I mean, I think uh, this whole concept is is very cool for me. And, and you know, we've talked about some of the use cases already. You're already uh, an active company working with some marketers, some hedge funds. Um, you mentioned smart cities. Do you think uh, there would be any other industries that would be very keen to get this kind of data in the future? I, I mean, if we talk about sort of your longer term vision uh, for this company, say three, four, five years down the line, are there any other industries that you think would be really, really interested in the kind of information that you're collecting? So commercial real estate is big. If you want to build a new building, are you going to build it on um, potential site A or potential site B? So, you know, looking at foot traffic in advance and seeing that is big. Another one in a totally new sector would be, um, you know, um, disaster recovery. So if there is an earthquake or a fire or, um, you know, even a terrorist attack, and you want to, and let's say that there's a fire and you want to see if anyone's still in the building. Well, a good way to do that is with location data. To give that real-time data to first responders, so firefighters or police officers, so they can then see that and say, okay, there's people we need to rescue in these locations. Um, that could be really important as well. Um, that's a use case I like. Another is for health and fitness and insurance companies. So if an insurance company sees that you are a very active runner, so we can see, okay, is this person in shape? Should their health premiums be higher or lower based on their physical activity? Um, another in the health realm is for patients that have dementia or Alzheimer's. A problem that people don't know about is wandering. If they wander out of a hospital ward and you need to say, hey, you know, there's a patient that is lost and um, you know, doesn't know where they are. We need to rescue them and get them back. Um, that's an important metric that we can look at as well. Right. Again, you know, so, sort of, you know, digging a little bit deeper, you know, and going back to this point, a racist point earlier, you've got these two stakeholders, you know, you've got the data suppliers and the data buyers. And so once you've, you know, collected the data from all these um, data suppliers, would you analyze the data yourself? Or would you bring in third parties to analyze this data? Yeah, that, that's a great question. So when location data comes in, it is literally, you know, we collect numerous fields, but it's literally, you know, a device ID, so a, a unique ID, a latitude, longitude, and altitude, and a few other coordinates. So on physical, you can buy that raw location data, but there's also third parties that sit in the middle that um, can take the data, enrich it, and then resupply that data at a higher price. So what I mean by that is, let's say that there are 10 data points that indicate that you like to go and stand inside a Rolex store. So you can either buy that, those data points that all indicate that you're standing at a certain place, or you can buy the data points that have been taken and enriched and then supplied at a higher price 
and it says, oh, Tushal is a shopper for high-end luxury goods. Maybe he also wants to buy an Audi. Maybe he also wants to buy a Patek Philippe watch as well. So while there are two parties on either side of the protocol, there are parties in its infrastructure that are built on top that say, okay, let's A, grade this data. And I like to think of physical kind of like a stock exchange, but for location data, where you, know, you have the buyers and the sellers, but then there's also like S&P and Moody's through our rating agencies that can grade the accuracy of the data and deduplicate it. And that can also enrich it and package it kind of like a fund mm. where you can say, all right, these are all people who are retail shoppers and we've analyzed them or these are very, these are in shape moms because we see that they go to the, the stores to buy strollers and they go to yoga classes as well. Yeah. Um, so they're kind of the stakeholders in the middle. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what stuck with me was the Rolex store that you've been talking about that I've been visiting. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> See, I've been tracking you. I, 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 you know, I know you're wearing one right now. I'm, I'm <laughs> no, if all, uh, if all goes well, uh, you know, hopefully I'll be spending more time in Rolex stores around <laughs> the world. Um, so let's talk about your token. Uh, it's called FYS or is it FIS or how, how do you say it? Um, uh, FYS. Are, are, yeah, our token uh, FIS, physical. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, could you talk about the role of the token briefly uh, for these different stakeholders that exist in the whole ecosystem? Yeah, of course. So um, the physical token has three use cases. And uh, by the way, physical is fully functional. We pushed the Ethereum mainnet yeah. um, on February 28th. Um, so I'm going to get into that a uh, little bit later. So I'll ask you okay. questions about that. We'll get into it. Cool. So yeah. a physical token has three core functions. Uh, one is physical data buyers use physical to uh, pay for data sets, decrypts the data sets. So you can't just use ether, you can't use USD, we literally don't accept it. You must use physical tokens in order to pay for it. It unlocks the exact amount of data points that you, uh, the supplier has agreed to when they sell you data on physical. And number three is uh, the tokens are used as rewards and incentives uh, for suppliers to supply data. Right. Um, so you, uh, you briefly mentioned this and I wanted to get into more detail. That's why I kind of stopped you earlier. So you've built your application on the Ethereum blockchain and went live uh, on the mainnet earlier in the year, like you mentioned. Um, could you talk about what that experience has been like, if there have been any learnings, any challenges that you're facing currently? Yeah. So, I mean, we came from kind of a different place, um, you know, because we had the benefit of knowing what the data trade is like. Um, we actually modeled physical in two ways. One is to fit the current market so we can go live right away and begin publishing data sets with physical right now. So we, we know what the data trade is about. This is our business with location data and it's a hundred billion dollar market. And the reason I mentioned that is that it's, it's growing very rapidly. So we made sure to leave um, a lot of the fields like the metadata used to describe a data set as open because the way that you describe a data set today in the terms we're using in 2018, are going to be, I can guarantee you, very different than the terms we're going to use to describe a data set in 2028. Um, so the, we kind of modeled it based on the way things work right now, but also leaving it uh, flexible and extensive for the future as well. And are you facing any problems with, uh, so Ethereum, the Ethereum blockchain is facing some scalability issues. Has that, has that posed a problem for you? Uh, good question. So um, no, it hasn't. Basically, what we do is we don't store our data sets on the Ethereum blockchain. Um, you know, we get 300 million data points a day, just about. So that's 
it's bigger than the entire Ethereum blockchain in one day. So, so what we did is we actually store them off chain and there's a reference to it on chain. So what's actually stored on chain are things like um, the metadata describing the data set. So, you know, this is a data set of people who go shopping here. Um, you know, you can purchase uh, the, the purchase price of the data set, the transaction that was recorded, the time, um, the file size. So there's a lot of elements that are recorded on the data set and that's really where the trade is settled and it's a public um, transaction. And there's a reference to the off-chain data set. So when you purchase uh, a data set from physical, you pay using tokens, you get the key and the reference and you go download it off-chain. So it can be stored in IPFS, um, a URL, Amazon S3, it's up to you. We partnered with Bluezell, so you can use them as well if you're a supplier. Sure, yeah, we've interviewed them as well. Um, and, and, you know, I, I really like what they're building also. Um, and in fact, uh, I think uh, when, when we interviewed Pavel, he mentioned your company as well uh, during the interview. So you're, I understand you're planning a token sale later in the summer. Are you able to provide any details about the token sale at this stage? This is uh, Physical Technologies uh, that's doing the token sales. So this is the Singaporean company doing so. Um, and yeah, we're having a private sale right now. Cool. Before we wrap up, is there anything else that you would like to mention that we may not have talked about? Sure. You know, um, so I mean, one thing that we have worked on that's been fantastic is, um, you know, creating a portal for consumers to claim their location data as well. So what I've talked about thus far is you have suppliers and buyers and the suppliers are a lot of mobile app providers. So physical doesn't have an app. We partner with third party apps, weather apps, dating apps, travel apps to collect location data from their opted in users. But what you can do as a consumer is you can say, Hey, you know what, instead of Tinder or Uber getting paid for my location data, I want to get paid for my location data, or I don't want anyone to use my location data. So what we're going to allow you to do is go in at the actual marketplace level where all of your data is aggregated and claim your data from there. So what that really does, and if you can picture a funnel where all of your apps that are using physical right now, we have a thousand uh, that are supplying data. You can go in there and you can say, Hey, instead of these apps getting paid, I want to get paid in tokens. So that's an exciting use case. And it's actually a lot more effective than the single app monetization play. So there's a lot of guys out there and, and I like what their, their ethos, they allow you to download an app and you can monetize your own data. Are, are you familiar with those companies? Sure. Yeah. 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 But, there, but you can talk about it. I mean, for the benefit of the audience. Yeah. So there's, there's a handful of, uh, of those companies out there. I'm sure we all have them. Uh, a lot of those apps and I've played with them, which is great, but you'll notice a problem. And that's that when I download one of those apps and they say, claim your data, take it back from all, all you know, all the other apps that are selling it. What's actually happening is, you're downloading, let's say, the crypto app A, that is you know, your personal data marketplace. What you're really doing is creating a copy of your data and selling that copy. It's not stopping Facebook from still selling your data, and it's not stopping Tinder from still selling your data. You're just adding more data. You're not deauthorizing others. So what physical has done is because it's working with existing apps, and it's working with um, over 1,000 right now, you can actually go in at the marketplace level where all of your data is pooled from all of these apps working with physical. And you can either say, Hey, pay me, you know, or you can just deauthorize it altogether. So that's a new initiative that I'm really proud of that um, physical is behind. Right. So, uh, I mean, so I was about to end the interview, but I think this sounds pretty fascinating. So we can probably spend a couple of minutes before we wrap up. Um, so if, say if I want to, you know, sort of get back all of this data, where do I go? Do I go get on 
to the physical, does physical have an application of its own? Do I go there or like, how do I claim all of this data um, or, or get rewarded for, you know, supplying all of this data? Yeah. So, um, you know, this is something that will be rolled out shortly. We're working on an alpha internally and I'm happy to share some specs with you. But right now what you can do just to show you that we are, you know, for real is you can go onto physical's website. You can click on opt out at the very bottom and we give you instructions on how to opt out and you'll basically be telling us what your device ID is. Your device ID is what I described earlier is your unique ID. So we give you instructions on how to opt out from physical altogether so your data can never be used by us ever again. And we can even um, you know, give you a confirm on that and that, that we've had it to begin with and, and so on. And then also we can provide you with instructions on how your data can't be used by any other applications even that aren't being used by physical. So we do both of those things and the next step we're working on and building is the getting paid for your data part. And that's a gateway we'll be rolling out um, in 2018, which is really exciting. So you'll be able to get paid in tokens by going to a physicals um, website. And you also piqued my interest with a, another topic is that we'll be rolling out an app um, that is a consumer facing app that allows users to go on geo missions. And what we'll actually do is we'll say, hey Tushal, you know, we're collecting location data from you when you go to the Rolex store, which is great. But you know what, we actually really need location data on store B, on the Nike shoe store. And the reason we really need location data on certain stores is that every store, if you think about a map, like a blueprint, and you're looking down on a store, every store has a different shape. They're not always perfect squares or perfect rectangles. If you're in, if you're in a room right now, look around at the room. The walls are probably uh, you know, not a perfect square. They may have a weird indent or angles. So we need to know where those lines are on the blueprint. So what we'll do is we'll say, hey, if you download our mobile app, we'll send you on a geo mission to the store, to the Nike store. And if you walk around the perimeter of the Nike store and then type in Nike, kind of like you're checking in on Foursquare, then we'll give you uh, like premium, a premium allocation of physical tokens for going on a mission for us. So that's something exciting that we're also working on. So there'll be people walking around doing missions all over the city. Is that? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You'll, you'll see people uh, walking around the outside of stores or the inside of stores. You won't know why. It's because they're um, the physical users. Because they're on missions. Uh, That's right. No, it's very cool. Um, so, uh, you know, before we wrap up, uh, what's the best platform to follow all of your developments? Uh, yeah, so, um, are you active on Telegram, Medium? So, we're, we're active on Telegram. We've got um, a bunch of cool blogs coming out on um, Medium. We just did a case study on there was a big election in Malaysia. And uh, we just produced some data that showed people that are, were going the day of the election from Singapore to Malaysia to vote. 23% uh, increase in traffic. Pretty cool. So yeah, follow our medium. Um, we're on Telegram and you can also follow our Twitter. Everything is just physical. That's F-Y-S-I-C-A-L. Physical with an F. Very cool. Um, all right, Justin, I think on that note, let's uh, end this interview. Uh, thank you very much for taking the time out uh, to come speak with us. It was an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks a bunch. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Like us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Telegram, and subscribe to our newsletter on decrypt.asia. This is your host, Tashar. Thank you for listening.